you guys, and welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka Podcast, the unfiltered mental health podcast where we talk about the things that no one wants to talk about in real life. I'm Christina, your host. As you might have heard in the last episode, I just got out of the hospital um, after having a bit of a breakdown a few weeks ago. Uh, My mom came in to visit me. We recorded an episode together. It was really fun. And then my friend Bianca came to visit me from Boston, and we had a lot of fun, too. Had a lot of great conversations, and um, by the time she left, I just felt really encouraged and, um, dare I say, excited about the future. (laughs) It's still been hard, I'm not going to lie. I've just been working a lot to kind of keep my mind off stuff, Um, just keeping myself busy and distracted. Also, it's officially summer as of two days ago three days ago, I guess, since this is coming out on Monday, a confession. I kind of hate summer. I was born in July, but I just, I love staying inside and listening to music and writing and reading and gloomy weather is just perfect for those activities. And so when the sun is out, I feel guilty staying inside. Um, I don't know. I've always felt like that. But yeah, summertime, um, I have mixed feelings about, but I hope you guys are enjoying it. I hope you have a lot of fun stuff planned. I will be flying out to Arizona next week um, to see my ex, and uh, that will be interesting. We may or may not record an episode while I'm there. But in the meantime, a lot of you reached out to be guests on the show, and I'm so incredibly thankful for you guys. Um, This week's episode is about complex post-traumatic stress disorder, or CPTSD. And um, my guest is named Sophie, and she's going to be talking about that. If you've never heard of it, she's also going to be telling you about her life experiences. Um, So I hope you guys are ready for another exciting episode. As always, if you have anything you want to get off your chest or if you want to be a guest on the show, you can always reach out to me via email or social media or whatever. You know where to find me. All right, with that said, I hope you guys have a great Monday, and here is Sophie. Is, that, is it working now? Yes, I can hear oh, you. Cool. Yay! Yay! <laughs> this is so exciting. Oh, I know. So excited to talk to you. I know. So you're back in Colorado now? I am, yeah. And it's only been, what, a day? Yeah, it's been like <laughs> a day and a half. <laughs> How is that? Oh, it's it's fun I get to see all of my like childhood friends and uh enjoy some sunshine for once and dry weather but uh <laughs> yeah it comes with its own bag of like mixed feelings and bad memories but it's all right oh of course uh when's the last time you were back home this time last year oh man it's been a hot minute oh yeah is your family excited to see you Oh, it's just my dad out here because my brother's in China at the minute, but oh, okay, excited. So I don't really know a ton about you uh, aside from what is on Peach, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to start by giving like a little introduction, like telling us a little bit about yourself and your life and whatever you want to include? Sure. Okay. So um, both of my parents are English. I was born in Germany because my dad was working for the European Space Agency. Oh, cool. um, I'm a British citizen. And then when I was about two, my parents moved to Colorado. So I was raised here, hence the accent. But I'm not an American citizen. 
And I lived here until I was 20. And then I moved over to England to live with my mom in Cornwall. And then about a year ago, I moved out and I, I live in Cardiff now on my own. Okay, what part of England is that? I have no idea. Oh, uh, but... Cardiff is in Wales, actually. It's just, it's the capital city. Oh, okay. So where where would you consider your home to be? Oh, probably Cardiff. It's it's hard to say because, you know, Colorado is, it does it does feel like home to me, but it's just so inaccessible most of the time. But, yeah. you know, Cardiff is sort of where my heart is. Oh, do you miss it? I do. I miss, I miss a lot of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so you grew up in, you said Germany or you were born in Germany? I was just born in Germany. Yeah. Okay. But you mostly grew up in England? In Colorado. Oh my God. I I am already like messing it up. (laughs) I only moved to England when I was 20. Okay. So what was it like growing up in Colorado? Were your parents together? Uh, yeah, they they were until I was 16. Growing up here was really nice. We lived in like a really quiet neighborhood in the um, in the woods and stuff. The community around the city, though, um, it's very like Colorado is a very liberal state normally, but except Colorado Springs, where it's very, very, very Christian. Like, oh even... yeah, I have relatives there. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I've been there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just, it's not a good place to be as an atheist. Like when I went to school, um, I definitely lied and told everyone that I did go to church. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> uh, otherwise I don't think I would have had any friends. I got busted eventually by my best friend who asked my mom while I was in the bathroom, like, where do you guys go to church? My mom was like, oh, we don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so neither of your parents are religious? Um, my mom considers herself Methodist, but she doesn't go to church or anything. Okay. Yeah. So most of your friends were involved in that community then? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Most of them have like come away from it a bit now that we're older, but some of them are still like deeply evangelical. So you're here to talk about mental health, obviously. How was that for you growing up? Like when did your issues start emerging? So I guess I've I've always had sort of disordered eating habits because my dad growing up was um he had an exercise addiction and he was pretty orthorexic Mm. um and he just emphasized the need to be like fit and skinny so much during my formative years that that kind of manifested into an ED eventually I never thought I had an eating disorder though like when I was in college and stuff I would you know only eat a packet of oatmeal every two days but I would be like no I don't have an eating disorder I'm just (laughs) starving for funsies Um, funsies. (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't until about a year ago that I kind of relapsed into those habits and kind of realized it's when I discovered the reddit community and I kind of realized okay yeah (laughs) I think I might have an eating disorder and then um with the cptsd that I want to talk about that um can you explain what that is first of all like in a nutshell Yes. So it stands for complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And the difference between that and traditional PTSD is that traditional PTSD usually occurs from like a single traumatic incident, whereas the complex PTSD is over, it's like a 
sustained abuse over a period of time. Gotcha. Usually which, um, in which the, like I'm hesitant to say victim, but the victim feels that they have little to no chance of escape. So it presents itself slightly differently. And it's often misdiagnosed because it has, it shares a lot of uh, symptoms with other diagnoses like um, BPD and bipolar. And actually it was interesting. I was reading about it today. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 18 and I never really thought that that diagnosis fit. Like I took it because I was a student and they were giving me Adderall. So right. Why would argue? <laughs> but um, that is one of the things that people with CPTSD are often misdiagnosed with, along with sensory processing disorders, which I've been diagnosed with as well. Um, oh, I think I heard about that on a podcast the other day. What is that exactly? So that one, it manifests slightly differently for everyone, but in me, um, like loud noises, I can't handle very bright lights. Uh, I can hear them, <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay. Um, it's, uh, yeah, if I look at very bright lights, my ears, my eardrums vibrate. And I can't handle touching certain textures like velvet or suede. They oh. make me sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. But most, most of the time when people say sensory processing disorder, it's just like getting overwhelmed with sensory stuff. Like whether that's sound or light or, yeah. Is that something you've always had or do you think it's directly related to your CPTSD? Or what what is it? CPT? CPTSD. Okay. Okay. I was like, is the S in there or not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That one I've actually had since I was a kid. So I don't think that has anything to do with this. Okay. Um, But yeah, it's interesting that it's one of the misdiagnoses that comes along with it. Um, And also I was reading about... Uh, the connection between CPTSD and substance abuse. Hmm. And it looks like about 20% of people with CPTSD abuse drugs, but a whopping 75% abuse alcohol. And if you know me on Peach, you know about my struggles <laughs> with alcohol. And oh, yes. <laughs> definitely relevant to me. Um, uh, when... I just thought that was a huge number. Yeah. When did all that start? It started when I was 16 and I started dating a 24-year-old, because I went to university early. I, I was taking like a concurrent course um, to get high school credit in university. And I'm sure at first he thought he just assumed I was at least 18, but he did find out very quickly that I was only 16. Damn. And um, he, the first like six months of our relationship were pretty normal. He, I knew that he was a junkie, that he was, uh, he abused a lot of drugs. He was on heroin most of the time, but I never... I never really like saw him shoot up. It didn't really affect our relationship until about um, six months in when I was over at his place and he OD'd on heroin oh, fuck. and um, his, his flatmate was there and his flatmate had Narcan, which um, I don't know if you guys know, but Narcan, it, it shuts off like the opiate receptors in your brain. So it can bring you back from an overdose. It's good to have it if you're going to be doing heroin all the time. Um, <laughs> Noted. But <laughs> his um, his hands were shaking too badly to, to get it out the bottle. So he was like, Sophie, you have to do this. Oh, <laughs> so God. there I was, 16. Like, I'd never really, I'd smoked weed in the past, but I'd never really exposed myself to any drugs yeah. like this. So he was like, he talked me through it. And he was just like, just pull, pull some out of the bottle and then just like grab his thigh and stick it in there. And I did. And when you Narcan someone who's falling out, 
because it just shuts off all of the opioid receptors, it's almost like they immediately go into withdrawal and it's really painful for them. I did that and like it took a few seconds, but he like woke up and he just immediately started swinging. Um, <gasps> and his, yeah, <laughs> his flatmate pulled me out the way and he was like, Sophie, just go to the other room and wait for him to calm down. I was like, okay. Um, and you were 16. Oh my God. <laughs> and he, he eventually like calmed down and he fell asleep. And at this point, I was just, I was majorly freaking out because. You know, I thought I loved this dude and I had almost just seen him die. I was freaking out. And so I did something really stupid and I found his stash and I flushed it. And then I just sort of like got in bed next to him and fell asleep. And I woke up to him like dragging me to the wall and um, like holding me against the wall and just with this manic look in his eyes being like, I know what you did. And I was just like crying. and I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't. I just wanted to protect you and all this stuff. Yeah. And he um, he sort of took his my hand in his hand. He wrapped his hand, hand around it, just sort of crunched down and broke a few of my fingers. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was just, like, crying and sobbing. And then he um, dragged me by my hair back to the bed and sort of with my face down, like, violently raped me. And that God. was the first time. <laughs> so you didn't were... leave him after that? No, I ended up apologizing to him after that. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it was a very manipulative relationship, but that's just how that started. How and did you it, meet this guy? He was in my art appreciation class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and at that point, it was just such a shock because he had been completely normal up until then, but it really kind of only got worse from there. And how long were you together? We were together like um, on and off for about two years. Man, did you tell anyone about that? No. <laughs> like, so my friends knew that I was dating him, but they didn't know about any of the abuse. My parents didn't know that I was even dating anyone because oh. they were going through a divorce at the time. Right. It was really easy to be like, oh, I'm just going to go to Papa's house or I'm going to go to Mama's house and then just go over to his. Like, it was, it was very easy. <laughs> do you think your actions had anything to do with the divorce at the time? Uh, no. No, I don't think so because they, they had been struggling in their marriage since I was like nine years old so you kind of saw it coming oh yeah definitely was it a relief it was kind of just because my mom was so unhappy in the marriage and she finally like had her own space and she seemed a lot happier would you say you're closer to your mom or your dad oh my dad definitely yeah my mom and I have had our own issues in the past in fact the first time that I experienced any kind of physical abuse it was from my mom when I was 12 Fuck. um so yeah I I I like my dad a bit better <laughs> <laughs> um so back to the CPTSD do you think it started then with that boyfriend or did it start earlier I think see most of the issues that I have now like the nightmares and the flashbacks relate back to him but I'm sure like the thing with my mom has had an effect in some way like what if when when I see her when she comes up to visit me in Cardiff it usually causes me to like stumble back into like the nightmares and the panic yeah she seems to be a bit of a trigger for me but they're mostly about him have you talked to her, your mom about how you feel about her um I brought it up once when I was 16 and she she told me that uh, it never happened, that she gaslighted me, basically. Wow. Uh, and I honestly, to this day, don't know whether she doesn't remember it or if she's just 
fucking with me. At some point, you just have to accept that, you know, you can't change people. You just got to look out for yourself. Yeah, she's definitely a different person now than she was back then. And I can, like, get along with her. But there's just always going to be that thing inside that I'm just like, ah, can't really trust you. So you were with that boyfriend. Um, After that first incident, like, how did your relationship progress? Oh, it got worse so fast. Um, in fact, a couple of days later was the next time that something happened. He um, he invited his dealer around and <laughs> he drugged me in some way. I'm assuming he roofied me and then just let his dealer do whatever he wanted to me in exchange for three grams of tar, which is what I flushed. Fuck. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, come on. I'm worth at least five, right? <laughs> Yeah, that was that was fucked up. And they filmed it and I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere. Oh my god. That's horrifying. <laughs> uh, but I at the time like I, I mean sure it bothered me, but I was just like, "Oh, I love him. I deserved that." Like <laughs> oh. So, yeah. at what point did you start um abusing substances? Uh it was shortly after that his his flatmate introduced me to heroin and that that was bad because he didn't want me to be doing heroin. And okay. when he found out, actually, do you know, like in the seventies, when your parents would catch you smoking, they would make you smoke a whole pack. Um, I did not know about that, but <laughs> now I do. <laughs> yeah, it was like an archaic thing that they used to do. But um, that's basically what he did to me, except with heroin. He found out that I tried it, and then he just like shot me up for three days straight, and I don't remember anything. Oh my um, god. Yeah, I just woke up three days later and he had texted like my parents and my friends from my phone and been like, don't worry, I'm fine. Like I'm over at this person's house or whatever. And I woke up and he was gone and all those messages were there. And I had to have a friend come pick me up because I was still just like nodding out so hard. And I just had no idea what happened. And I eventually got someone to drive me back there because I had to pick up my moped. So did did you black out or what happened? um, I was just like, I was nodding out so hard that I was probably unconscious. Okay. Yeah, I woke up with a lot of track marks. That was that was fun. Like there are little glimpses, but it's it's really hard to remember. Yeah, that's like something out of a horror movie. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. And I I, I didn't have any proof that anything had happened, you know? And when I with the person who brought me back to his place to pick up my moped, I was like, Can you come inside with me? She was like, sure. And I I kind of asked him, like, what happened? And he was like, no, 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 you wanted, you wanted it. You asked for it. Like, uh, did I, did I? And he, he was very charming. And he just, like, charmed the pants off of my brother's girlfriend who brought me there. Mm. Um, and she was like, oh, he seems so nice. Yeah, I believe him. I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have been with him so long if he wasn't charming. Yeah. You know? It's ridiculous. Oh man! So did did it just escalate after that? Yeah, it it sort of it got to that level and then stayed at that level for quite a while. And I just sort of got used to it to the point where like, kind of expected it. Did you enjoy it? Weirdly, um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't remember this, but I found an old diary of mine saying like, when it had been like too long since he'd been mad at me, I kind of found myself thinking like, what can I do to make him mad? <laughs> I, I saw a psychiatrist when I was 18 okay. who described this as edging behavior, which I thought was a very funny term. Yeah. Um, 
but it's it's uh it's a common thing with CPTSD putting yourself in danger like that it's sort of like thrill seeking where you really enjoy being in danger so you would make him Uh angry on purpose yeah or I would think about it I wouldn't necessarily do it but I'd really want to but I, I did engage in a lot of other like very risky behaviors just to satiate that need like what Oh, you know, just sort of like breaking the, I mean, just little things like shoplifting, give me an adrenaline rush and like riding my moped without a helmet. And <laughs> what a bad girl. I know. <laughs> Man, uh, so how long did the relationship go on for? Just under two years. And it only really ended because I moved cities to go to university. Did you maintain contact with him? Not not really. It was only once I got out of there that I kind of realized, like, oh, that was kind of a fucked up relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> and a little I, bit. <laughs> I didn't see him again until about a year and a half later. He came to my apartment and we got in a fight. And um, I don't know why I had a mirror lying down on the floor. We had just moved in, so I probably just hadn't, hadn't hung it up yet. But he... um he pushed me onto it and I broke the mirror and I've still got like cuts all over me from Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's really uh, fucked up. But I hadn't seen him since then until um, a couple months ago, his roommates called me and told me that he's, he's dying and he wants to talk to me. <laughs> um, oh, that- okay. I remember you talking about this. Yeah. I have talked about this on peach before and I basically agreed to talk to him and he apologize and I didn't forgive him I was just like okay slightly traumatic for me and he passed away about two weeks ago wow I'm I feel like such a horrible person for saying that I am so relieved yeah I mean Uh, you are totally entitled to feel that way after what you've been through I'm just glad it happened before I got to Colorado (laughs) he has left me a box of stuff and I can't decide whether I should go pick it up or not who would you have to interact with when you pick it up um, his old roommates, who I'm actually good friends with, they're decent people. I asked them to go through the box already and tell me kind of what was in it. And it sounds like it's just like some of my old clothes, but also some books that like are relevant to our relationship. Um, and one of them in particular just made me feel so nauseous. I don't know if you know the book Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. I've heard of it, but I've never read it. It's basically just about a grown man who falls in love with a 14 year old girl and when I heard that he had put that in there, um, that just made me feel so nauseous because I never, I never thought that he viewed our relationship like that. I thought he viewed yeah. it as like an adult relationship, but the fact that he put that book in there is just so creepy to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were basically a child, and he's yeah. twenty-four. Like that's not okay. I mean, when he's you're the in- age, he was the age that I am now, and thinking about dating a sixteen-year-old is like, that's not okay. Yeah. That that did make me feel slightly ill, but <sighs> it's. I mean, it sounds like you got some closure out of it, at least. Yeah, I I I was talking to my boyfriend about this, and we were saying if I do go pick up the box, at least I can just set it on fire. <laughs> yeah, there's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, how old were you when you went to college? Eighteen. Yeah, when I moved cities. Okay, so you moved overseas. No, I just moved up to Denver. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Continue Continue with your life story. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so I studied psychology for about three years. Two of them were while I was still in high school. And then one while I was up in Denver. Um, 
And then I just, I fell really hard into all my drug addictions. I was doing like fentanyl and heroin, benzos and everything. And it just got, it just got to the point where it, I just couldn't handle it anymore. And in, in March, like halfway through the semester, I talked to my dad and I was like, you need to come home. <clears throat> he brought me home and he, he didn't know about all the drugs. So, but for that first week that I was home, I was withdrawing from fentanyl and which is like a very, very powerful opiate. If you think heroin withdrawals are bad like this, I thought I was going to die. Holy hell. Your whole body hurts and it's achy and you're hot and you're cold and you just can't sit still. Everything is restless, but it's like that times 10. It's hard to describe. Oh, it sounds terrible. so horrible. You can't keep anything down. If I drink water, I would throw it up. And your it, dad it was, was sad. your dad was witnessing all this. Yeah, my dad and my brother were both there, and I was just like, I think it's just the flu. Oh <laughs> my god, <laughs> awkward. Yeah. Ugh. Was your drug use related to that relationship you were in, or school, or both? Probably both. Mostly the relationship. I wouldn't have been introduced to hard drugs if it weren't for him. Right. Um, and after, even though he was super mad the first time I did it, he sort of developed some kind of like a fetish for us using together and yeah that that only encouraged the drug use that's even more messed. Yeah. i mean that's messed up on its own but thinking about how young you were just makes it even more messed up it was pretty bad and the fact that because i was in this concurrent program i didn't i wasn't at school all day every day i, I had like a college schedule basically right um and I had my own transportation and I could just I could just do whatever I wanted, really. Like, I remember between classes when I was 16, I borrowed my neighbor's ID and I went to get my first tattoo. Like, <sighs> I had no supervision whatsoever. So that really helped with the drug use. I mean, yeah, your parents were busy with the divorce, probably. Definitely. I, I was I considered myself sort of a casual user. Um, what do you mean by that? I would get like every month or so I would buy a couple grams use it all in a week, withdraw a little, then, you know, repeat, repeat it all the next month. I wouldn't be using all the time until I moved back to my dad's house in Colorado Springs after college. And I started working and I was picking up all the hours I could. I was working like 50, 60 hour weeks and was making a lot of money and just spending it all on heroin. Wow. And I would just be high 24 seven, higher withdrawing at least. Um, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that that went on for about uh, six months, probably, where I was just a daily user until um, my brother went to California to be in AmeriCorps, which is like the baby Peace Corps. Okay. Um, and he left his car here for me. And it was after a Halloween party and I was withdrawing really, really hard. And my brother's girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend was there. She was giving me like benzos to help with the withdrawals and stuff. And uh, I eventually got a hold of my dealer and I was like, can we meet please? He was like, yeah, yeah. Meet me like down on Academy. And <laughs> I didn't realize how high I still was on the benzodiazepines. So I got in the car and <laughs> was driving down the interstate and on the interstate off ramp, some something happened. It felt like a tire popped, but I could have also just been like, I was fucking high. And I crashed into a light pole going about 70 miles an hour. Oh shit. Yeah, it's a miracle actually that I'm alive because I I walked out of there without a scratch. But yeah, the no smell other... of airbags deploying is still sort of oh. like 
haunting. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So no other cars were involved? No, no. It's just me and the light pole. <laughs> I mean, that's a mercy, at least. Yeah. Wow. And I, I remember thinking at the time, like, I wasn't just like, I wasn't saying like, oh, my God, I'm so lucky I'm alive. I just remember thinking like, God damn it. How am I going to get the heroin now? <laughs> <laughs> how does, like, what effects did the long-term heroin use have on you because I mean if you were taking it daily because I don't know a lot about heroin uh, I, I can imagine a lot of my listeners have never done it I was like a pretty anxious kid I guess just sort of always on edge which is also part of the CPTSD um, similar to anxiety you're always in kind of fight or flight mode right very very on edge and um, self-conscious to the extreme and the heroin let me like calm down uh, and it let me sleep. Oh, man, I was such a bad insomniac as a teenager. Hmm. And the heroin just seemed to like it was a panacea for me. It solved all of my all of the problems that I had. Of course, it brought along way more. But <laughs> yeah, that's usually um, how it works. It was just sort of like I, I felt I felt more at ease in myself when I was on it. But of course, like I was also chasing the high um, coming off of it. I, I went sober when I was 20, when I moved to England, um, after I crashed the car. And that was hell for a couple months because, again, the withdrawals. And I just, I was so cold all the time. And I was, I was pretty underweight because of the heroin and moving to England where it's like, it's, it's not like severely cold, but it is also very humid. So the cold does get to you. I was just miserable. And my mom, who I was staying with, had very little sympathy. <laughs> yeah, she didn't understand how much I was suffering, really. And I was pretty depressed at the time. Um, I eventually like got a job and the withdrawals were fading. They lasted a while because I was taking loperamide um, to help with them, um, is which that? is an anti-diarrheal medication, but it has opioid properties. Okay. Uh, and it helps with withdrawals, but it's it prolongs them as well. So my gotcha. withdrawals lasted like a month. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I was going to ask why they were lasting so long. Yeah, that was that was my bad. But it, it was a struggle. Once the physical effects of the withdrawals had faded, you still have to deal with the psychological ones. And I struggled for a long time. I had one minor relapse about six months later. My mom found out immediately and she basically made it clear to me that I had to choose between my family and heroin. And that was the first time someone had ever said that, like, you're going to lose your family if you keep doing this. And that's when I stopped for, for good. Um, so backtracking a little bit, what made you decide to go to school in England? Well, the first three years I was in England, basically after I crashed the car, my dad was like, I can't handle you. And he shipped me off to my mom. <laughs> oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I came to England. I did not want to be there at okay. all. I have really bad memories of Cornwall. It's not a friendly place for someone with my accent. Really? Why? They are very xenophobic. They hate other English people, let alone like foreigners. It's bad. Oh, wow. I have a friend over there who, who is American and she moved there when she was nine and we worked together. And actually one of our other coworkers, when they were in school together, grabbed her by her hair and dragged her down a hill and slammed her head against a fence and called her like an American slur. What? Yeah. Oh my God. It's terrifying. Like, like if I just talked too loudly in like a corner store, everyone would just look at me. I'd be like, oh God, please don't start something. Okay, so I'm adding that to my places never to visit. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had no idea. That's crazy. 
I know it was really intense. And again, my mom did not understand that at all. Whenever I bring it up now, she like rolls her eyes and she's like, it wasn't bad. I was like, you don't know. I'm assuming she has an English accent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So your intention was not to go to school when you first moved there? My intention was to get back to Colorado as fast as I could. (laughs) Okay. But um, So how did that all play out for you? I basically just got a job, um, worked for like a year, saved up some money. I went to Spain for a month to work as an au pair. I thought I might stay out there longer, but the kids were just nightmarish. (laughs) (laughs) So I came back to Cornwall. I basically just couldn't afford to go anywhere else. But at that point, I'd basically given up on the dream of ever coming back to Colorado. I worked for a couple more years and I just knew I needed to get out of Cornwall. So I did a um, online access to higher education course, which would let me get into a, a UK university. That took about a year. The university that I've wanted to go to since I was like 15 years old in Cardiff um, somehow managed to get into that. I moved there in last September. Okay. And how, um, what were your first impressions? Oh, I mean, we used to visit Cardiff all the time when I was a kid. Oh, okay. Just, I love the city. It's it's compact, but it also still has everything that you need in it. I just love Cardiff. And it's like a college town, so I'm assuming there's more culture and whatnot. Yeah, it is mostly students. There's a lot more to do. There's a, And I, I can talk at full volume in my accent and no one tries to fight me. It's the little things. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, with the CPTSD, um, I mean, it's it's similar to PTSD in a lot of ways, but the symptoms that come with it it's a fairly new diagnosis and it actually doesn't have any diagnostic criteria listed in the DSM-5. It's likely to be in the next edition, the DSM-6, whenever that comes out, because it's just, it's fairly new. So a lot of like even psychiatrists and psychologists don't, it basically, it manifests itself in like chronic nightmares and flashbacks, uh, distrusting other people and isolating yourself and not going out, being easily startled um, which goes along with the uh, hyper arousal, where you're just like always on edge, like I said mm. before. And this dissociating, going on autopilot, getting wrapped up in your own head. And then there's <laughs> like a lack of understanding of what normal boundaries are. So I can overshare or undershare <laughs> to the extreme. Like I either tell people nothing or I'm like, hey, you want to hear about this time I was raped? <laughs> yeah, it's like all or <laughs> like nothing. Being like habitually late to things because you have to psych yourself up to go the worst for me is the the nightmares and the flashbacks which started up again at, for, for a few years there after I dated this guy I was fine like I thought I was over it but I was probably just like repressing it I mean yeah, that's not something you really get over yeah. easily I don't know exactly what it was that triggered all of this to come flooding back basically but it was in about February that it started and or just having nightmare after nightmare every single night and it was just at at first it was really scary but I got used to it and eventually it just became exhausting like you'd wake up exhausted because you felt like you just lived three days in the last hour yeah Um, was it every night every night yeah throughout the night my poor boyfriend puts up with so much shit for me (laughs) every night I'd just be waking up like either hyperventilating or sobbing and you just like try and calm me down um is this, yeah. is this the guy you're with now? Yes, yeah. Well, how long have you guys been together? Uh, we've been together eight months. Okay, so you met him in Cardiff? Yeah, he's fantastic. He, <laughs> the poor dude, like he's, he's, 
he he's never really like been exposed to like the drug world or anything like this. And I came to him one day and I just told him all about like, hey, I'm bulimic. I used to be a heroin addict. I have depression and anxiety and I used to be in an abusive relationship. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Laying all your cards out on the table. Yeah, he took it very well. He's 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 fantastic. But um yeah, sometimes he really doesn't know what to do with me. And it's sometimes hard to explain to him why things that he sometimes does can bother me because he feels attacked. He feels like um I'm comparing him to my exes, but I'm not. People don't understand that it has nothing to do with them. It's everything to do with me and right. my past. But yeah, it's hard to it's hard to get people to understand that when they've never been through something like it. Yeah, and going back to the PTSD or wait, what is? <laughs> I feel like I'm not going to get that right ever. Um, I mean, going back to those symptoms you listed, you know, the not sharing with people or oversharing that must make it hard for, to have yeah. relationships as well. It is pretty bad. I, he didn't know any of it until oh, it's probably like four months into the relationship. He thought I was a very chill person before that. <laughs> Little did he know. <laughs> um, so when did you find out that that diagnosis was a thing and that you had it? I went to my GP in January to get put on Prozac, which um, helps with the depression and the bulimia. Um, and he referred me to uh, like a counseling team. But it's the NHS. And I love the NHS, but... They are slow. They are very, very slow with these things. And it took a month for them to call me to do an assessment. And then they said, because I was recently hospitalized for a paracetamol overdose, that they'd have to refer me to a different team. And that took about another month. Um, well, what kind of so overdose been, did you say? Paracetamol. It's um, acetaminophen in the U.S. It's uh, Tylenol. Okay. I was take, I was quite underweight at that time and I was taking an adult dose when apparently if you're under 50 kilograms you should be taking a child's dose oh wow and yeah my liver was pretty severely damaged by it but they they, they fixed it I'm good that's <laughs> um, good <laughs> but I've been referred to, and all over the place over all these different counseling teams and I'm currently on the waiting list for the eating disorder team but it's an eight month long waiting list so wow. I on my own tracked down this domestic abuse clinic and it was a walking clinic and I took I took my boyfriend in with me and we sat down with the lady and we had a chat and basically they're gonna assign me a caseworker. Nice. And it was then that I <clears throat> that she mentioned the CPTSD. And she was like, I I I'm hesitant to like diagnose you without like a formal like few sessions, but it sounds a lot like this is what you have. And you immediately resonated with it. Yeah, I Googled it and I'm just like, yep, <laughs> this explains so much. Yeah, I found the a subreddit for it uh, a few weeks yeah. ago, actually. It, it's amazing. It's I know. Someone yeah. from Peach actually introduced me to that subreddit. It's great. Yeah, it's very eye-opening. It's, it's so good. And the memes are good, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Reddit is great for memes. So um, how do you feel about getting a caseworker and delving more into this stuff that you've quote unquote gotten over i'm i'm very nervous about rehashing it all it's slightly better now that i know that he's passed away because like my nightmares haven't been as bad since then i still get them but they're not nearly as intense and i don't wake up like thinking there's someone standing in the room with me kind of thing anymore um which is nice 
but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm worried that once we start rehashing it all, that it's all just going to come back. And I just kind of want to solidify because I'm feeling better now. I want to solidify that in my brain. So that'll, that'll be good to do. Hopefully that happens and it doesn't make it worse. Yeah. I, I mean, you want to be careful, obviously, but do, do you think there's some issues you still need to go back and? Oh, definitely. The, the big things for me with the CPTSD are um, I mean, the hyperarousal, also the self-destructive behavior and the intense guilt and shame that comes with it. Like I feel so intensely guilty whenever someone is nice to me, like, my friends all know me for saying, don't be nice to me, you're going to make me cry. And they think I'm joking, but I'm not. (laughs) Um, Like, I just, I feel so intensely guilty whenever someone does anything kind for me. Like the other day, um, I was over at my boyfriend's and I woke up at like six or seven in the morning. I looked over at him and he was asleep and I just immediately started sobbing. Could not stop. I was thinking like, I don't deserve him. (laughs) And he woke up and I didn't tell him why I was crying and he just started comforting me. And of course, like the more he comforted me, the more I was like, see, I really don't deserve him. Oh my God. What a sweetie though. I know. Poor dude. (laughs) So, so do you feel that by punishing yourself, that feels more normal than being loved? Yeah. I had a relationship or two after the very abusive one that were abusive in like psychological ways. And also like on the one time uh, sexual But yeah, I would just sort of like test him. He was my college boyfriend for a while. And I would just sort of push him until he got really mad with me. Uh, Yeah, I don't understand really why. And I don't really do that anymore. Thank goodness. So what kind of treatment options are there for PTSD? The most promising one, it looks like, is um, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing which I've actually heard someone on your podcast talk about before. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And it's just basically where you follow a light with your eyes side to side while you're recounting a traumatic event, and it helps your brain to like desensitize you to the trauma. So that looks really promising, but unfortunately I haven't been able to find that on the NHS. They, I can pay for it, but it seems very expensive. Yeah. So. With the caseworker thing, they're probably just going to give me cognitive behavioral therapy. And hopefully that'll, yeah, that's definitely, it's better than nothing, for sure. That's exciting. I know, slightly nerve wracking, but (sighs) I'm excited for it to hopefully get better. Yeah. Uh, How long are you in Colorado for? I'm here for a couple weeks and then I go back home, but I can't move into the new flat until the 14th of uh, July. So I'm going down to Cornwall to be with my mom. And that's oh, fun. Stressful. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't handle being there that long. Right. It's, yeah, it's, understandable. It's for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've known you for a while online now, and I, I've seen you come a long way and get through a lot of shit. And um, I'm really excited for everything you're doing now. I, I think it's gonna be okay thank you <laughs> and, and I mean it seems like you're in a great relationship now and that's amazing yeah he does he does help a lot that's really good it's so hard to find someone who you can be honest with on that level and who oh, yeah, definitely. doesn't get scared away <laughs> it's very surprising he hasn't been yet <laughs> <laughs> knock on wood <laughs> yeah 
if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> Don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, do you have any resources or anything you, or, you know, for people who might have CPTSD? Um, yeah, actually, I just went to Barnes and Noble yesterday and picked up this, um, book. It's called the complex PTSD workbook by Ariel Schwartz. Oh, cool. And it just, it walks you through a lot of the, like what PTSD is. And then it has you do these little exercises and I've only done like the first few, but they do seem really helpful. So if you think you might have CPTSD, this is a good book to get. Other than that, like therapy is good. Um, people will have different symptoms with CPTSD. This is how it presents itself for me, but there's also just like, like low mood and avoiding things that remind you of the trauma. Some people experience like uncontrolled anger, dissociation, like trust issues, social isolation. I've read digestive issues actually, which was interesting. Wow. Um, sexual promiscuity, sometimes amnesia and suicidal ideation. So it can present itself in a lot of different ways, which is why it's always, or not always, but often misdiagnosed. Yeah, this, uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I, I said, I'm, I'm curious to mention it to my therapist now to see if he's even heard of it. Yeah, it is. It's so new. It, and I get, you'd have to be like very up to date on the new stuff to, to have heard of it, I think. For me, definitely discovering that subreddit was the first time I had heard of it. Um, and it, it really did open my eyes and make me feel like I found a group of people who I could relate to. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, the CPTSD subreddit is a good place also. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any parting words for the listeners? If, um, if, if we're friends on Peach, my handle's dead weight. Um, so, hi, everyone on Peach. I love hi. you guys. <laughs> Yeah, and if, if anyone I know ever listens to this, sorry you had to find out this way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude, I'm always it's always weird when people I know in real life listen to this. I, I forget that's a thing. I know. And then they'll mention it to me and I'll be like, Oh, this is awkward. Do we just talk right. about it now? I mean that's the I whole point, right? Is to, to talk about it. Oh, my dad um knew that I was recording a, a podcast with you today but he doesn't know what about he was like oh tell me and i'll listen to it it's like <laughs> that's not gonna happen <laughs> you just send him to like a completely unrelated podcast <laughs> yeah well i'm so glad we got to do this thank me you so too. much for volunteering no problem uh, i think you're amazing and also your voice is really sexy Oh, I think, thank you. I think your accent is like, it's not quite English, but not quite American. It's very different. And I love it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you yeah. so much for letting me do this. Of course. Anytime. Okay. Bye. Sounds good. Bye. Um, to all my listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you aren't doing so already, I encourage you to follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast. Um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, or you can just go to the website, www.picklesandvodkapodcast.com. Um, you can always email me, like I said before, at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com. Um, I really want to encourage you guys to speak up about your mental health and not feel like you're the only one going through something because so many people can relate and 
I'm really tired of pretending that mental health isn't a thing or that nobody struggles because we do. And um, I want this podcast to be a place where you can talk about your experiences, whether you're doing well or you're not doing well. Um, I think everyone's voice deserves to be heard and together we can find some small comfort in solidarity. Um, With that said, uh, I hope you guys all have a great week and I will see you next time. Bye.